When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Today on the Family Brain, I'll be talking to Kirk Martin, founder of Celebrate Calm. I first heard about Celebrate Calm from a friend who responded to a post I put on Facebook that said, my job is not to stop my child from having a tantrum, it's my job not to have one also. And somehow to me that was a breakthrough thought because I have been so focused on trying to change my children's behavior that I decided it was time to start focusing on my own. And Kirk and Celebrate Calm are super fun to follow. He has a great Facebook page, and he also has a great podcast. And what I love about his message is that he takes some of the negative things we might feel about our kids or we might hear about our kids from schools or other people and kind of flips it and helps us notice that some of the things that they might be struggling with are actually gifts or things that are going to be their strengths that just need to be harnessed and I just love the encouragement from that. I also love that he gives practical tips and tools. He's not just saying, hey, think about it differently and have a great day. He is giving us some strategies to improve our parenting and to help our relationships with our kids. So I'm super excited to share uh, Celebrate Calm and Kirk Martin with you today. Hi, Kirk. This is Megan. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm really excited about this. Me too. I've been listening to your podcast, so I'm excited to have you share all you know. (laughs) You're funny! I like the way you talk about things that are often talked about in not funny ways. Well, uh, good, because sometimes I'm probably inappropriate, so I'm glad you enjoy the sarcasm. I enjoy a little inappropriate (laughs) now and again. You have to laugh when you have strong-willed kids and kids when you feel like pulling your hair out. So laughter is is better than therapy sometimes. Yes. Well, I was wondering if you could tell everybody a little bit about the history of Celebrate Calm and sort of why you started this work. What got you into this? Um, Shorter answer is my son. My son Case is 24 now, but when he was a little kid, he was just really, really difficult. He loved to argue all the time. He was emotionally volatile and, um, 
you know, I spent the first nine years of his life just trying to fix him and change him until I finally realized that the real issue was he got all the, all of those traits from me. Right. And so, so a lot of it was that epiphany that, um, in order to change for me, uh, for him to change, I had to change first. And so that became kind of the, the basis and foundation of what we teach is that the quickest way to change your child is to first control yourself. And it, it, it led to a couple things. One of which is that I get excited about is just generational change, right? Where we get to break patterns in our lives that we have had forever. Because my dad was a screamer. My dad was fear, intimidation, my way or the highway approach. Because his dad was like that and his grandfather. And I was pat going to pass that down. But then when I changed myself, now I've broken that pattern. And so now I think it's really cool when my son ends up getting married and has kids. That he'll be different, right? So he won't keep passing that down. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it was um, working. I used to go and volunteer at Casey's school because he get, got um, he kept getting kicked out of school. And um, in order to keep him in school, I would go and I'd volunteer in the classroom. And I've always been pretty good with, um, with kids and kind of getting the kids who are different. And so I'd be in the classroom, and i just start experimenting, doing different things to help kids focus better. And all of his teachers were like, Mr. Martin, when are, you, when are you coming back? And I was like, well, I have a full-time job. Like, I can't be here every day. But slowly, slowly, um, I started spending more time in um, classrooms. And then we opened up our home so that um, uh, the strong-willed kids and kids with different issues could actually come to our house. Because I wanted 10 or 15 kids in my home where we could control the environment, where we could change plans on kids at the last minute. So we could teach them in the moment, how do you deal with frustration? How do you calm down? We could teach them social skills. So mostly that's kind of the short answer. But we, So I worked myself out of a regular job and um, worked my way into this, which is my passion, which is just helping kids who really don't fit in. I wonder um, what... How many kids did you say you brought into your home over the course of the years? We had well over 1,500 kids. I mean, we worked with a lot of kids. We had, it was weird. We never expected this. I had an idea. It was one morning I just said, hey, I'm going to run this little ad in our community newspaper. And I called it ADHD Camps. And I was like, nobody's going to call. And all of a sudden we're getting all these phone calls. I didn't even have a website at the time. And then I was like, oh, man, we've got, like, people are coming over Saturday. Like, we have to come up with something, some curriculum. And, um, I mean, I already had one kind of mapped out, but I didn't think anybody would do it. So we didn't call it ADHD camps. We ended up calling them friendship camps or Lego camps just because the kids would come for that. Right. And um, so that's kind of how it started. And it was, um, and it just snowballed. And because... Because we took a very positive approach, the first name of our organization, before it was Celebrate Calm, it was called Celebrate ADHD, because it was back in the time in the late 90s when everything about ADHD was so negative, right? It was right. like, if your kids have ADHD, they're going to be on drugs, and they're going to be in jail, and, they're, and I was like, no, these kids have a lot of ex- really positive qualities. They actually have a lot of advantages that other kids don't have, 
So I'm going to celebrate the positive part of it, and we're just going to teach them skills to shore up some of their weaknesses, right? So their impulsivity, lack of social skills, um, you know, not being able to calm themselves down. They didn't need to be fixed. They just needed some positive tools. So it was such a different approach, I think, that word spread. And so by the second or third year, we had kids flying in. We had a kid flying from Finland, I think. We had kids flying in from all over the United States uh, just to come to this weird little camp thing that I was doing at my house because, in a way, it was kind of like a play therapy thing. But the kids loved it because they didn't know that it was therapy. Okay. Right? Yeah. Nobody, their parents weren't like, you know what? You're a weird little kid who has issues. We're going to send you this therapy. <laughs> they would just tell them like, hey, you get together. This is Lego camp. You're right. going to be together with kids that love Legos and you're going to build with Legos. And in the course of building and playing, we would teach them all these skills. So they were learning skills and they were having fun at the same time. That's and they awesome. never felt like something was wrong with them, which was cool. And how did you manage having multiple kids? Because that's one of the questions I had was just about siblings. You know, if you have one strong-willed child or one child that's sort of flaring up or needs your attention or needs you to be calm, what about when two kids start going at it? Or in your case, you had multiple kids in your home. I'm sure you had those moments where everybody was needing something from you at the same time. How did you manage that situation? So, that, great question. That's where, that's when... Um, learning to control myself was even magnified even more because if I've got five kids and they're all in a different state of melting down, complaining, whining, getting upset, you can't go around and just yell like, you be quiet, you stop it, calm down, whatever. So I learned to do things like funny and odd and weird things. Like in the midst of that, I would literally just lie down in the middle of the floor and it would totally throw the kids off and I, one by one, I'd be like, come on, come down here, come on, grab some Legos, or whatever it was what we were doing, where I would sit down, and I'd start talking very quietly and very calmly, and I found that the kids would follow my lead. I'm going to try mom, that in my house. Mom, I'm just going to lay on the floor yeah, one day and just see what happens. It's, it's going to be awesome. Well, so <laughs> yeah, and your kids may jump on your head, so you have to watch that. Okay, I'll but like have the, a helmet. You know, the... The scene of the mom in the kitchen, right? She's fixing dinner, or it can be dad. The mom in the kitchen and three kids, and one of them's complaining about his homework, and one's melting down over something stupid, and the other one's calling another one names. I mean, the traditional approach is, guys, guys, listen, look, I'm trying to fix your dinner. All I'm asking for is a little bit of help around here. Could you guys, right? We get kind of that pleading, whining tone in a way, and what the kids start to realize is, I'm in complete control of the adult here, right? Like the adult's not even in control, and I totally get why, because you're frustrated. But oftentimes when something like that would happen, I would adopt a very even matter-of-fact voice, and you have to fake it sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So the message I always want to send is, your world may be out of control right now. Mine's not. Seen this before, done this before. Because what happens is kids start getting upset, we freak out a little bit and want to change it. So we start kind of reciprocating and we yell or we get upset and now it just adds fuel to the fire. So it was interesting. The more the kids got upset, 
the more that I would become calm, even matter of fact, and almost stoic in nature in order to calm them down because they, they were feeding off of my energy. Right. And if I looked at them and said, Hey, I can tell you're really frustrated right now. Totally get that. Listen, I need some help in the kitchen. Come help me with this and I'll help you out with that. Right. And that tone of voice, I, I just learned working with these kids, that tone of voice was so settling to them. Um, because if they, you know, when they're upset, if they could really tell you what they're thinking, they're, they're screaming out, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I don't know what to do right now, and I need someone to help me. And that's the exact moment where we're yelling like, no, I need you to stop doing that because I'm exhausted. Just right. So um, lead, one of our phrases you'll hear if you ever listen to our podcast is leading kids to calm. Because we tend to tell them, like, you need to calm down, mm. right, while we're yelling at them. Yes. And so, which I get, okay, so no, I've I never heard, do I've heard of people who do that. Yes. I, 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 I clearly sure. never do, but. I know you don't. Yes. Because you have a podcast, so you have. Correct. A great, yes. <laughs> people have podcasts, have it all figured out. Yes. And so. Yeah, I mean, I still occasionally do it. So I don't do any guilt with that. We all do it. Right. It's just what I found was, like, if, if yelling and screaming at kids worked, I would write a book, and I would my organization would be called Celebrate Yelling. Mm. And I'd just be like, listen, here's what you need to do. But that's what everybody does, and it doesn't work. So anyway, that's kind of how that, uh, kind of how all that came about. Do you have any suggestions for, so my kids are at school right now. I feel great. I feel super calm. I feel, but when they walk in the door, that's when my anxiety starts to ramp up when everybody's coming at me with the same things and, you know, talking at the same time. Do you have any things that you like self-talk for yourself that kind of helps keep you in that headspace or, or yes. tricks that you've um, come across that, you know, this, I might be feeling this one way inside, but, but this is what helps me get to that calm place. Good. Um, self-care really, really important. Um, before the kids get home, if you have the option, I know some people listen to the podcast, you know, are working and then you're going to pick up the kids and so you don't have all that time. But if you have time for it and make the time, because we all have time, we just have to make a few minutes, but um, exercise, you know, praying, yoga, whatever it is that, that is calming to you, I would take even three minutes before the kids get home just to get yourself in that space, listening to music. I'm not being funny with this one. I think even having earbuds in your ears when the kids get home, mm -hmm. even having a little bit of music, play, you don't have to listen to everything they say, right? Our parents, our parents didn't hear anything, right? Because we were outside all the time. So I'm not really being funny with that. It, it can help to have a little bit of music uh, going on. Um, using music, actually music in the house to calm the mood um sometimes when the kids come in the door i like to have things for them to do that aren't instructions because they've been at school all day people have been telling them what to do all day long like little soldiers and then they get home we're like hey uh take your shoes off put them over there put your backpack here get your agenda out we need to look at your homework da, 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 da. and then some kids melt down so sometimes after school i love doing with younger kids i love treasure hunts hey i hit your favorite Lego fire engine or snack or whatever in the backyard, bet you can't find it or bet you guys can't find it. 
and giving kids some kind of mission to do when they get home that isn't homework, that isn't a chore, but something they get to do. Um, if you're in an area where you get kids fresh air after school, that's really helpful too. Um, sitting down, posture, body posture things when the kids get home, um, sitting down. There's something about sitting down and reclining or putting your crossing your legs. It's just more difficult to yell and scream. It's a more calming posture when you do that. I know you have a whole list of resources for people um, with, I guess, the brain boosters for teachers. Can you talk a little bit about some of the tools that you have for teachers and suggestions you have for teachers? And I'm also curious how you would suggest that parents advocate for their kids in the schools. Oh, good. So yesterday I spent six hours training um, teachers in a school district in Indiana, and it was awesome. And um, so... Let me start with the one on advocating for your child. Um, I think getting to know your child and why they do what they do is really, really important. And that's one thing I think that we do pretty well, especially for the kids who, um, have, I'm not going to say that have ADHD, but even having the character, let's say it this way, kids who struggle in school with focus, attention, executive function, social skills, organization, writing, anxiety, sensory issues, all of those things. I want to understand why my child is fidgeting, why he is um, struggling with that, why does he struggle with short-term memory, so that when I go and talk to the teacher, I can say, because this is a conversation I'd have every year with my son's teachers, because he was terrible in school for a long time. I say, Mrs. Teacher, listen, I some struggles in these three areas, but I've made this one, and I love this idea, I used to make up a one-page sheet for the teacher because I didn't want to take in 17 pages of psychological testing because they're not fair to the teacher and they're not going to read all of that. So I had a one-page sheet for the teacher um, so that they could keep it in their desk. And at the top I had, here are all the great things about my son. He loves ice hockey. He's great at arguing because he has great critical thinking skills. He loves his new puppy. He loves helping other people. He, he does really well when you um, praise him or affirm the positive in him. All the good things at the top because I wanted to give teachers clues in how to connect with my son. Because what happens is we tend to only talk to teachers about our kids' struggles. So teachers are human beings. What they start to think is, uh oh, this child, this, this kid, he's just, a, he's, he's just filled with issues. And they begin to see the child kind of as a problem instead of seeing him as a human being. I would also put on there, by the way, just different things that the child struggles with, right? Like there are some kids who have some severe issues or medical issues where they have eczema. And so, you know, their bodies, they're scratching all the time and they're not comfortable or they have anxiety. Because I want them to see the child as a whole child, that he's not just a behavior issue, he's a real kid. Now, I've got that at the top at the bottom. This is teacher, my son has three issues that you're going to struggle with. Focus and attention is one. So for each struggle, I would have two or three different tools or strategies that I knew would help out with him. So one of our things, and you can look at it online, we have is um, 
these little sensory strips. It's just like a little strip of double-sided tape with some different textury strips on them. And we tape them underneath the child's desk so he can play with the sensory strip all day long. It's an appropriate fidget that doesn't make any noise and he can't throw it. And so for kids with busy hands, it actually helps them improve in concentration. And then I'd say, okay, I know during class he's going to get bored and he's going to get up and want to walk around and talk to other kids, and I know that's not appropriate. So what helps my son is if you could give him a very specific job partway through class, like having him refill your water bottle, whatever it is. So I'm going in there and not just saying what my child struggles with. I'm actually giving them tools and strategies so that I'm part of the solution instead of saying, like, you know what? My child's going to be issues, have issues, good luck. So I'm going in and I'm letting them know I, I'm in this with you. And I would also talk to them about, hey, here are the things we're doing at home as well so that they know I'm not just letting them get away with the child, get away with things. So in a way, it's advocating for the child, but also giving the teacher some concrete tools to use. And that's, I, I'm not going to plug our stuff, but we have an um, ADHD university program and the Brain Boosters program, and those are filled with insights into why kids do what they do and then all the practical strategies so if you listen to those things, then it gives you good ideas and you can even share it with the teachers. But I like, I like that approach to working with teachers, if that makes sense. No, that's great. Because I think that that's what I've been hearing from so many parents lately is that teachers are either suggesting that kids get evaluated for ADHD and then it's sort of like this label that people aren't sure what to do with, aren't sure how to advocate, probably don't want to go straight to medication right away. Um without trying other things, and I just think it's a big challenge right now. Um, my kids it, go... It's huge. Yeah, and I just, I think that it's tricky because there's so much pressure on the schools to do so much, but at the right. same time, you don't want your child, um, you know, being medicated just because the school is having issues managing them or managing it's, it's, how to cope. Right, and the hard part is the teachers haven't been trained so when I go, like yesterday, I'm with them all day long, two separate groups, all um, three hours each. And it always shocks me um, that they just have never been trained in very practical things that would help kids who are, um, you know, not neurotypical kids or kids who are just kind of strong-willed or have a lot of energy. The fallback is the um, red, yellow, green behavior charts. We're going to do a behavior chart. And... 99% of the time, it ends up with the child being on red almost every day. It doesn't really work. It's not motivating. And the child loses everything because they don't really have any practical tools. And so the fallback becomes, well, we think you need to be tested for ADHD. And that's fine. But most of the time, to be honest, and I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a doctor, so consult your doctor, all those things. There's my disclaimer. Right. But most of the time... I don't really need a diagnosis. I just know that my child has a lot of mental energy. I know that he struggles with focus. I know that um, he needs a lot of brain stimulation. I can observe the child know he just needs to learn in a different way. And sometimes the diagnosis is helpful, but I'll, I'll, I'll share with you kind of our approach to medication. It starts with this, tools. Our whole focus is I want to give kids 
as many tools as possible to be successful. So giving kids a job to do during class, giving them the sensory strip, right? Um, um, uh, exercise is a great tool to give kids because that improves focus and attention, relieves anxiety. Um, uh, kids who have social anxiety or anxiety about going to school, if a teacher were to say, oh, man, I really need your help. First thing in the morning, I need you here five minutes early every day because you're really good at doing X, and so I could use your help. That child who then has anxiety about going to school, it helps because now he doesn't get up thinking about school. He gets up thinking, oh, my teacher needs my help. And most of these kids love feeling helpful. So um, diet and nutrition can be a tool that you use. So when a child's struggling, I like to give them as many tools as possible to be successful before I go down the road of medication. Because medication is a tool that can be used, and sometimes it is really helpful. Sometimes it's not necessary. But I'd rather go through a list of, you know, 15 other positive practical tools first um, and if you, and the detailed way of doing this, I would make a list on a get a uh, get a piece of paper on the left hand side. Write down here are all of my child's specific struggles, and then across the top, write here are all the different tools I can use, and do that for a couple months or a month. And what you'll find is oh, that exercise before school, uh, having my child climb through an obstacle course in the backyard in order to find his breakfast, which kids, boys love, because now they get to eat outside, right, in some grimy little um, obstacle course, because uh, they love anything nasty. Yes. So, so I'm getting some uh, sensory exercise in the morning, and so I'm finding out, okay, that tends to help with these sensory issues, and maybe him being a little bit too touchy or physical with the other kids. My nutrition, the da, 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 all these things are helping. And so you can kind of chart it out and say, these are working. And if you do need to go to a doctor or psychiatrist, then you can at least go and say, listen, here are all of the struggles. Here's all the, here are all the tools. It's helped with eight out of ten struggles, but we're still struggling with these two areas. Is there a medication that we could use that would address these two specific issues? Because I really don't like when uh, parents have to go in and say, um, my child has ADHD, what can you do for him? Because it's just so broad, right? Right. And um, anyway, I just tend to like that kind of approach better because in the long run, what I ultimately want to do is understand my child's brain and heart and know how it works best so that I can teach them different ways to use their brain. Like one thing my son is great at teaching kids is it's not about managing your time. It's about managing your energy because we have energy flows, right? And a lot of us work in different ways and ADHD kids especially work on momentum a lot, right? They work in short spurts and bursts of energy. And so a lot of it is just learning how your brain works best so that as you get older, in school, you can um, advocate for yourself and say, Mrs. Teacher, I want to do really well in your class. Here's what I found. When I take tests, if you allow me to sit on the floor in the back of the room, 
I promise I won't distract anybody or make any noise, but I'm so much more relaxed. I, I will do so much better. Would that be okay with you? And I find that to be a beautiful thing for kids to know how they work best and then advocate for themselves. I feel like listening to your podcast has put it in my own brain just to be more aware and more compassionate with my kids and the things that they go through. My son came home the other day and had had an issue at school and he's just, he's very joyful, very joyful right. and very energetic. And so I told him, I mean, this is another way of looking at it. You have so much joy and so much energy and you do a really good job for the most part at keeping that under wraps. Every once in a while, it's going to give you some issues, and right. you know, here here's some things we can do instead. I love the idea of those sensory strips. Do you sell those, or you make them, or you know, we ha so we have these um, these camps that we do with kids occasionally, as kids like ours. And so we did one in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, and there's this girl named Riley she's from Oklahoma, and um, she's these are a lot of these kids are budding entrepreneurs. So I told her, I said, I've got this idea. These sensory strips, we've used these for years. Um, and I said, I'll make a deal with you. If you want to start making these for me, we'll turn this into a little business. And it was really cool because um, she sponsors a child through Compassion International, and so do we. And I said, here's the deal. You can start making some profits off of this. I'm going to resell them. I'll make a little bit of money, but I'll donate all of our money, and we'll um, provide clean water to villages um, through Compassion International. So we're starting to sell them online. Um, you can make them yourselves. I'm just selling them because I wanted this girl to, to have the confidence of starting her own business, learning how much do they cost me to make. I've got to factor in my labor. You know, I love doing that with kids so they learn real-world skills. And we're also doing, you know, something that benefits charity uh, we both uh, like. But um, anyway, so you can make them yourself. You can see them. I think we've got... Somewhere on our site, we've got little videos of them, or you can see them online or on our Facebook page. We put them on there. So, But the whole idea is I just want to give kids as many tools as possible to be successful instead of going the consequence route because for most of our kids, consequences literally just they don't, they don't work. Well, that's the other thing that's care. echoing in my yeah. mind is your thing about discipline means to teach. And I just think that that is such an important mental shift. You know, like, I understand that this is what you did do. Here's what you could do differently next time instead of go to your room, you know? And because sometimes that's that's all we do and we don't give them the new skill. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the kind of reactive approach, right? Of like, hey, you messed up, cut it out, stop it. And if you don't, I'm going to give you a consequence. And you're right, discipline comes from disciple. It means to teach and to show and so my tone of voice, even when kids mess up, is, hey, look, you just made a bad choice. I got it. You just made a bad choice. You, I know that you know. Uh, saying that to your sister, to your mother, doing that is inappropriate in our home. And so I could send you to your room again, but we've done that like 384 times. So I'm going to grab a soccer ball and go outside. If you want to come outside and pick the soccer ball around, I bet we could brainstorm two or three different ways to respond to that situation differently next time. And so we're taking the time to actually show them because sometimes as adults we just assume that they know the right thing to do and they don't always know in the moment. Um, one, I, in case I forget, I love this um, phrase with kids. 
I'm curious. So when they mess up, instead of saying like, you know, what were you thinking? How many times do I have to tell you? It's in all honesty. Those are really demeaning phrases because if we're honest, what they really mean is you are an idiot, right? That's what that means. How many times do I have to tell you? It means you're, right? So the I'm curious tone is, this I'm curious. You just made a bad choice and you know you're going to, going to get a consequence. So I'm curious, what's going on? Because I want to figure out what the root of this is so that I can help you not make the same choice again. So if you can picture visually, instead of me against the child, it's me coming alongside the child. I'm still the authority figure, but I'm coming alongside the child to teach and to guide rather than to just bark consequences. And this has popped in my head. For a lot of your kids, there's a, a fair amount of shame because they've messed up so much, and every time they mess up, it's a new shaming episode. What were you thinking? How many times? Your sister doesn't do this. You know, if you don't stop this, and that's when they start to lie, because they're tired of being in trouble, and they don't really know another uh, way to do it, so they just start lying. I, I didn't do that. I, I, and so lying always, to me, points to shame, and if you think about it, it's the very first thing a human being did on Earth. Hey, Adam, who ate from that tree? Um, she made me do it, right? He lied and, and, and uh, uh, didn't take responsibility because he was ashamed of his choice. And I think that's a really good insight into your kids that will help that shift in your mind a little bit. Well, and what I've noticed, too, is just that in my own parenting noticing and being curious about what are my triggers you know it, it, it i think you know we triggers? feel my triggers i didn't well i didn't realize honestly i didn't realize how um like sensory overloading affects me i should know this you know i used to take tests and plug my ears because any little sound would drive me insane and now i have three kids and like kids birthday parties like just lots of lights and noises and so that was something i learned about myself and um, you know i've got a couple ideas for you because i'm the same way i've got 15 kids in the house so besides the music and that those kind of things and this is a little bit weird but i like weird stuff because it works so i don't like discordant noise um i don't like lots of kids and all the noise and what i found was i couldn't control them but i could control myself so i started doing this thing Right, fall uh, my hands in the fists, and instead of hitting children, uh, which sometimes you want to do, but you can't hit children, instead of getting upset, mm -hmm. I would, um, I would um, slowly kind of um, pound on my thighs a little bit, not pounding like hard, but I would hit my fists against my thighs. And what would happen was I was doing a couple things. One, the vibration of doing that is actually very calming in your body. And, and I was focusing more on the rhythm of just doing the gentle kind of hitting of the, my, you know, my fists on my thighs. And I'm doing it right now, actually, while I'm driving. Because um, I'm driving with my knee, which okay. is very stimulating uh, yeah. as well. And <laughs> um, don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. Yeah. But I'm doing that, and it's actually very calming because there's a rhythm to it. And rhythm actually helps... When you're feeling kind of out of sorts, that's why music is helpful because it has rhythm in it. So doing little things like that, sometimes chewing gum, sometimes even 
you know, with a kid's birthday party, um, finding a minute, 60 seconds where you're not with the kids and you disappear into the bathroom if you can, and just closing your eyes sometimes and just resetting can be really, really helpful during that time. Those so anyway, but I like the pounding on the thighs. Thing yeah, I'm going to try that. that. It's just, it's amazing the kid, things kids will teach you about your own self and your own triggers and your own strengths and just kind of yes. the growth that you, whether you ask for it or not, the growth that you end up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, they will transform you. Yes, and I, I love the, I love what you I talked about with being humble, like coming into it with humility that we're all humans, we all have our things that we're working on. It's not, and it, the more humble you can be in that process the more likely you are to have some success. Oh, absolutely. Humility, especially with with more challenging kids, because the strong-willed kids, if you want to do, um, you know, the my way or the highway, typical kind of guy, kind of like, I'm the man in the home, he's going to listen to me, those kids just dig in. And it becomes fight or flight, and they will fight you and resist you. And I found, especially as a man, one of the most powerful tools to use with kids is just humility. And it's not weakness. It's not letting them get away with things. It's not giving in at all. It's just the fact that there are times where I have the right to ream this child and to yell at them and to get on them. And I have the right to do it. And there wouldn't be anything really morally wrong with that. But it's just not effective. And it causes them to be more defensive. Um, do you mind if I do a quick example? Please. This? I love examples. Okay. So my son's like, um, I don't know, nine or 10. And he just said something, um, inappropriate to my wife because she asked him to do something simple and he was frustrated at school. So he blows up at her. And so I did the typical guy thing. Like, you're not going to talk to your mother like that. You need to apologize right now. And he was like, no. And I was like, you don't say no to your, you know, that typical thing. And it kind of escalates, right? Yes. And so he starts running up the stairs, and I say, you better not slam. And then, of course, he slams his door. And I do the typical, you don't, you don't have to respect me, but you're going to respect my door. Right. You know, all those things we kind of do. Yeah. And so this was at the beginning where I was first learning how to change myself and being calm. So I was like, I really want to wring the kid's neck because that's disrespectful. You don't talk to your mother and your father like that. You don't. So I have every right to go up and take away everything he owns, and to read him the riot act. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this new calm thing, whatever. So I start going up the stairs, and I trip on some of the Legos that he'd lived in, left in the middle of the stairs, and that made me even more upset, because how many times do I have to tell you not to leave your Legos? So then it takes me a couple more minutes. And so I've got these Legos in my hand, and I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to go up my throw them at him, right? Because you have all these impulses as parents, right? Yes. Hopefully this isn't freaky. We all want to do things to our kids at times. Yes. But you don't. Right. So I go up there, and I wanted to barge into his room. And instead, I knocked on the door. Don't really hear anything but a faint little, you know, whimper. So I walk into his room, and I sit right on the floor in his room. And I start playing with these Legos. And it was a really watershed moment because inside I was still kind of fuming, right? Like, why is he, Why haven't I gotten an apology yet? Why do I have to sit on the floor with stupid Legos and what? 
But it was a really watershed moment because I was learning that I was going to lead him to calm. And so I sat there and I didn't say anything. I started building. And to be honest, building with Legos was actually calming for me because I was creating order and I was putting things together. And it gave me something to do in the moment besides standing over him. So about three, four, five minutes later, all of a sudden he starts, he climbs on off the bed and he comes down onto the floor. And I say, hey, grab some Legos, let's make a spaceship. And I use that tone of voice. And so we start building and then there's all that tension in the room, right? And a couple minutes later, he says, dad, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that to mom and I shouldn't talk to you that way. And it was beautiful because instead of forcing an apology, I had actually led him to contrition. And it was this beautiful moment where we're sitting on the floor and now we're building. And so I said, I accept your apology. And I said, what I'm most interested in this, I'm curious, what was going on? Because I know you know you can't talk to your mom like that. So after a little while, I start to hear all the stuff that's happening at school. Dad, I feel stupid. I feel dumb. I, I don't have a lot of friends. There's a birthday party, and I didn't get invited to it. And that's when your heart breaks because you find out the whole yelling at the mother and that whole scene was not really about defiance and them being a bad kid. It was from a hurt kid who's feeling pain, and he's just not mature enough to come home from school and say, Mother, Father, can we speak about my pain and my disappointment? They don't know to say that, and so they just explode. And so I sat there and thought, oh, this whole scene right here, I had it completely wrong. I thought I was dealing with a defiant, disrespectful little snot of a kid who doesn't know how to listen to his parents. And instead, I'm dealing with a kid who feels overwhelmed at school because he doesn't have good social skills and doesn't have a lot of friends, and he feels stupid. Right. Right? And that'll break your heart, but it also lets you know, like, these are huge opportunities here. And so by sitting there with him, that led us to a lot of what we learn now, what we, you know, a lot of the tools of teaching him, okay, here's how what you can start doing differently. And those nasty moments can really turn into really beautiful moments, you know, if you can control yourself and kind of go through this process. I love that. And I love the other thing that I'm thinking, it kind of goes back to starting with yourself and your own behaviors and controlling yourself first because I think there's also a lot of adults who are not so good at saying hey you know I had a hard day today and this is what's going on with me you know adults also you know kind of bowl around with anger and frustration and you know sort of checking in with ourselves to figure out what it, what is going on with me today and kind of modeling that for the kids it's okay to talk about the fact that you had a hard day or that someone was didn't treat you the way that you would expect to be treated or whatever and just kind of that that's okay to talk about i love that because it's modeling and it's honesty to be able to say you know there's two there's two different ways you've had a bad day and usually it comes out as you know you start getting a little bit short with your kids and you're barking little things and you're like guys you know what, after all I do for you, I can't believe you can't, you know, when all of your um, the stuff that happened during your day kind of comes out with your kids, and I'd rather us just be assertive and say, guys, listen, I just want to let you know I'm exhausted today, or I'm, I'm really irritated because something happened at the office today, and I'm really frustrated by it. So if I snap at you, it's not you. 
it's just, it's just, I, I need to take a little bit, so a little bit of time to myself, and then, you know, what, whatever it is, if like, I, I want to go for a walk, does anybody want to go walk with me, or if it's, you know, praying, listening to music, reading your Bible, doing yoga, whatever it is that helps you, you're modeling, and I have bad days, which I do, this is what I do to deal with my stress, and I love, I, I love that. That's great. What about um, what advice or suggestions do you have for couples for staying on the same page? If one one person's embracing calm and maybe the other person is not ready to, or how how would you suggest getting on the same page? Oh, that's a tough one because usually um, what I found is guys, because we're just naturally good at relationships, <laughs> we get this so quickly and we have right. to be patient with our wives so they catch up. That is what I've heard um, a lot about. I, I know you've heard that. That's sarcasm. So um, I think I'll answer it the brutally honest way, the way I heard it uh, or experienced it the most. Usually um, uh, moms are a little bit more in tune with their kids because they tend to spend more time. And if you want to know, getting guys on, on the same page, I'll just, I'm uh, getting husband on the uh, same page. A lot of times I use analogies. Uh, because men like analogies, and one of my favorites is this. Um, in every sphere of life, men respect other men who stay cool and calm under pressure, right? Like in a military battle, you don't want your platoon captain saying, oh my gosh, shooting at us, mm. what are we going to do, <laughs> right? In a sporting right. event, the team who wins always has the quarterback who stays cool and calm under pressure. We want our business leaders cool under pressure even when the economy is going bad. So guys respect that. The only time it's different is when we walk through the front door of our home, we don't know what to do because there's Legos all over the floor and the kids aren't listening and my wife's upset. And so we kind of either do one of two things. We scream and yell and try to get our way that way or we just disappear to the basement and say, you know what, I'll earn a living. You deal with all the kids' stuff. So... I like to use that analogy, and for men, I'm, I, I don't mean this to sound condescending, because I'm a man. I know how I work. Um, we get overwhelmed. This stuff is hard for us, right? It's not, it doesn't come naturally. So I think even coaching a husband saying, hey, honey, I heard this podcast, this guy's stuff, and he said the sitting down thing sometimes really helps. So tonight, when you come home from work and the kids are all loud, they're doing this stuff, can we just try sitting together on the floor and see what happens? Because guys are very experiential. We're not going to read. Most of us aren't reading parenting books. We're just not. But if we experience something and see, oh, so when I talk to my son in an even matter-of-fact manner, and when I praise him more than I denigrate him, I get a better response, oh, that works. Because we tend to be very practical that way. Honestly, that's how I like to uh, for uh, for us to do it together is um, do it that way. I like supporting each other, so um, not saying like, "Honey, you know what? Yelling at the kids doesn't work." Duh, like that, you know, doesn't really work. Right. But when, but even because here's how it works in the home: one night your husband's going to be the really calm one and the chill one, and the wife's going to be all upset. And then the next night, it's going to be reversed. Sometimes even having a code word or having a, a, designated, um, a designated calming routine 
where you come up, you can see your spouse is starting to get upset, and you just come up, scratch their back, or grab them by the hand and say, you know what I could use? I could really use a little walk right now. Or come, let's go sit on the sofa. You know, just little tiny things like that to help each other out that are non-verbals almost. Okay. Very little talking. That can help a lot. But uh, final things, parents have to be, uh, husband and wife have to be the adults and get on the same page because it's just not fair to the kids to have two sets of rules in the home. And that's where I'm tough on parents and say, you've got to be the grown-ups. You can't be figuring this stuff out in the heat of the moment. You've got to come to some you know, rules and how you're going to do it on your own. Otherwise, your kids are just going to own you all day long. And that's not their fault. That's, you know, that's your issue. So, but it's a hard thing because I know there's a lot of issues in marriages. And, you know, if it were as easy as talking to my husband and him listening to me, we wouldn't have these problems in the first place. But modeling, um, let me give you one more Um, specifics with men. And I hope this doesn't come across as being too stereotypical. But in general, I found this, I'll just say this works for me. When I was coming home from work and I was getting texts like, you need to get home because your kids are out of control, most men are just going to come home and yell. But if you can give specifics and say, hey, when you get home, could you do me a favor? Grab some loose change out of the car, whip open the front door, and yell, treasure hunt, and then throw some coins out in the front or backyard, get the kids outside. That would really help me out because if you don't get these children out of the home, when you get home and give me seven and a half minutes of alone time, you're going to see me on the evening news. And what I like about that is it's one of it, it's being assertive and it's giving a specific example of something to do. And uh, I found as a whole, men tend to respond well with specifics because then we feel like we know what we to do rather than when you get home, you need to calm the kids down. Right. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Right. But I do know how to get them outside and do a treasure hunt with them. I can do that, but I don't know these vague things of I need help. I don't know what that means, but I do know if you need the kids out of the home for seven minutes and a treasure hunt would do that, I can do that. That's and great. Then once you do that and it works, it just builds confidence um, to do that more and more. I love the treasure hunt idea. That's super fun. And I think some of what I like about your perspective is it's just, it kind of puts the burden back on the parents, which sometimes I feel like, why do I have to do all of this? Well, because I'm the parent. That's why. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was how you talk about traditions. I love that idea of sort of instead of, well, I'll let you talk about it. Well, you can talk about okay. it all day. Okay. Just how you take the idea of instead of rules and instead of, you know, do this, don't do that. Just the idea of like, you know, in this house, when we come in, we come in slowly. Or, you know, in this house, we, you know, it's a tradition that instead of a rule, it just kind of, I don't know. I just, I think it's amazing how you can kind of just, you're doing the same thing, but the way you present it makes all the difference. The tradition, a rule tells you what not to do. Uh, Tradition tells you what to do. And I love, I do this a lot in schools actually with teachers is to say, Hey, ask the kids at the beginning of the year, what different traditions do you want in our classroom? Like when we get, when you get done taking a test, what's the tradition? 
when we come in from recess, what's our tradition? And part of the reason I like it uh, is because you get a sense of ownership, because this is just what we do. And I also like it because, it one, it holds kids accountable as well, because if they come up with a tradition, well, you said this is tradition, this is what we do. Um, but there's also a certain stability to it. Um, because we live in a lot more chaotic world where things are a little bit crazier. And to have some traditions in the home that are always the same is very grounding. And especially in families where there is divorce and you have split custody, um, a lot of it came from there of saying, hey, you two are not going to parent the same way, but I would like for, for the sake of the kids, have three traditions in your home that no matter where the kids are, whether they're dad's house or mom's house, you always do X, Y, and Z the same way. Because then it gives kids some consistency, you know, while they're bouncing between different homes. And I love that aspect of it as well. That's great. It kind of leads me to one of the questions we had from one of the listeners who was asking about um, parents who struggle with their own ADHD in parenting. And just some of the things you're you know, traditions or keeping stability, what if that's something that's really a challenge for you just as an individual, and then you're trying to do that with your parenting? Have you dealt with any of those circumstances? Yes, because because a lot of the kids that we work with have ADHD, and statistically, that means a lot of the parents, whether they're diagnosed or not, um, have a lot of the same traits, and so the consistency is really hard. Um, let me point out the positive part, though. One of the great parts about that, if you are kind of an ADD parent with a child who's kind of like that, is now you can identify with them and you can understand them. And often you can form, you know, a really nice bond with a child and even say, listen, I struggle with the same things. So here's what I've learned to do that helped me with that. I did a lot of that with my son. Um, the traditions are really helpful with that. Um, Having some things in the home that are always the same, I love. Um, uh, I love ADHD people. I love the um, part of us and the part that is kind of like let's just wing it. And I love um, the fun aspect of that. But I forced myself to create a lot more structure around myself. So uh, one of our traditions was, and I love this in the home, is you know get a little whiteboard and have it in the kitchen and put up the weekly schedule um, up because you've got three kids and as they get older, you know, they're going to be going all these separate ways. And so um, I had this family I worked with. And so when you walked into their home and I would walk in cause I was, I would mentor a couple of their kids and I'd walk in after school into their home and the parents weren't even there. And I would know quickly, okay, Here's what's going on this afternoon and evening with the three kids. A lot of times on Sunday nights, I learned, um, Sunday night at the dinner table, we'd say, okay, here's what's going on this coming week. Our tradition is on Wednesday nights, we usually do X. But this Wednesday, um, Casey, you actually have a, um, you have a, a, a doctor's appointment, and so that's going to change that. So planning things out ahead of time was really helpful. Um, we would plan meals out. And um, when I started doing more of the cooking, because I'm a little bit OCD, I actually did a lot more of that. I'd say, hey, 
here's the weekly schedule. I'm not going to the store every day. I'm going to plan some stuff out. If you guys don't like what I cook too bad, deal with it. But if you want some ownership of it, when we're making the weekly schedule, you can actually come to the grocery store and help me pick out the meals. And I did that because it just provided consistency for me. Because one of the hardest things is when you have kids and you're tired, it's like, oh, what are we going to do for dinner? I didn't think about that, but you're too tired to run to the grocery store and you've got all these things to do. That's why I liked having some of those traditions so that I could, some certain things were just always the same and it eliminated a little bit of the variability and it made me feel, and still to this day, makes me feel a little bit more in control of myself and when I'm in control of myself that just funnels down to the kids as well and they feel more settled right that is very true I know I have a better day when I know what we're having for dinner which is not often but it's you know the days I, that it does I, happen I, I can grown, see it makes a difference I'm, yeah I've grown to be a big fan of that because um, I know that a lot of our kids also struggle with hunger and, you know, and when they start to get hungry, moods change very quickly when parents and kids are hungry. And you can take a nice day, but if you wait an hour too long to eat at amusement park, at home, anywhere, all of a sudden your day is ruined because everybody's crabby. And so I got to where, not that I was rigid with it, but I just knew that that is one of those hot-button moments in the day that derails everything. Yes. So that was one thing that I started to be rigid with and say, listen, I know you eat the same thing every day. Fine. If you want to eat mac and cheese, same every day. You're going to come to the store. You're going to get the mac and cheese, and I'm going to teach you how to make it because I'm not making three different things for three different people every night. This is what's on the menu, and if you don't like it, then you can be assertive and step up and make something different for yourself. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with just saying, like, hey, here's what's on the menu. If you don't like it, go to bed hungry. But I'm kind of a realist, and I like to give kids options like, yep, if you don't like it, I'm not going to fix it for you, but you fix something else. Just don't put that on my – make that my responsibility to do that. Right. That makes sense. so – yeah, so some things like that, I just learned what my triggers are, and I think you alluded to that before. I know what my triggers are, so I try to eliminate them as much as um, as much as possible. I know that I need exercise. I know I need quiet time. I know I like consistency. So I'm very assertive now as an adult about my own needs, and it's actually a great gift to my family because when I take care of myself, then I'm not dependent on them acting perfectly so that I can behave, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Actually, that was the last question I asked the last person I interviewed and was just, what do you do for self-care? It, just because I think it's something that people miss. It's a key piece that people miss sometimes. Um, and it's not always easy to do, but it just makes the world of difference. And it can be different for everybody. What works for one person might not work for someone else. Um, so I think it's it's crucial. And I would put it, I'll put it two different ways, especially for the moms out there. So I, I'll give you a guilt trip, if that helps you do it, or I'll tell you the sweet way. So the guilt trip or the negative way is this, for moms. If you don't care enough about yourself 
to take care of yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually. Why would anybody else care about you, right? Why, if you don't even care enough about yourself to demonstrate that your time is important, then I'm not going to respect your time because you don't even respect your time. You do everything for everybody else and no one else. And your mom probably taught you that that's selfless and giving to do everything for everyone else. And it's honestly one of the most selfish things you can do for this reason. Because when you're depleted emotionally, physically, and spiritually, now you become dependent on your child behaving well or else you're going to lose it. So the positive, sweet way of saying it is the greatest gift you can give your children is not what you do for them. It is actually what you do for yourself because when you take care of yourself and you are patient, then when your child is melting down or is frustrated after school, you have the patience to actually be a trusted resource that they can rely on instead of the needy parent who actually needs them to behave. So if you want to take it both of those ways or one of those ways, it's actually a really selfless thing to do is to take care of yourself so that now I'm available to help you because I took care of my own needs proactively. I'm curious, this is sort of shifting gears, I'm curious about what role your spirituality and faith play in your own parenting or how, uh, the evolution of Celebrate Calm. Um, it was the original aha moment when I would go for my walks and talk to God and say, would you please change my son? Like, come on, he's difficult, change him. And that's when I started hearing kind of that still small voice that said, you know, what if I wired your son like that on purpose, right? And what mm -hmm. if I'm trying to change him? You're actually frustrating my purposes. And then the really killer question that I kind of sensed was, what if instead of trying to change your son, you're the one who needs to change? And that led to a lot of actual, that led to a lot of spiritual growth with me. And so today, uh, you know, nowadays how it plays in is, you know, my daily walk, I know that if I don't get a little bit of quiet time in, if I don't take that time to kind of connect with God, I'm just not good for other people, right? So, um, and plus there's just, you know, for me, there's wisdom that I, I have human wisdom, and so when I'm struggling and I step back and I just say, I don't know what's happening with my son or I don't know what's happening in this situation. Will you please just give me some wisdom? And I don't always get like the lightning bolt or light, uh, light bulb go off. But eventually when I seek enough or I'm looking for it, while I'm doing some random thing, all of a sudden some little insight will come and that helps. And so, um, you know, that the other part of it is... Um, for me, is just studying, and I use this question a lot, how would God handle this as a father to me, right? Does God, like, yell at me and send me to my room and say, you know what, when you've got a good attitude, come talk to me. And I'm like, no, I think he draws me. The, the, the worse I am, the more I think God draws me to him because what he's saying is, I've got wisdom to help you. And so I've really used that with kids to say, instead of sending them away from me when they're upset, 
I try to calm down so that I can be the trusted resource so that my child knows when I'm having a bad day, when I make a really bad decision, I know that I can go to my father, I go to my mother, and they're not going to freak out on me. And that builds that trust. And so I think all of that kind of plays together in daily life and then also just in parenting and relationships in general. Right. This is my last question. Um, I'm just curious what, I know, (laughs) towel off. Um, What surprised you the most about family life versus what you kind of imagined family life would be like and what the reality of family life is? I just feel like so many families, so many parents, people feel sometimes isolated because I think people don't always talk candidly about what family life really is like. And I just, I would love for people to feel, you know, not so alone in some of their struggles. Anyway, so I guess my question is, what what was different? I think it was a hit to my pride because I believed, okay, I'm going to read the parenting books. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to do it. And so that gives me control. And if I do the right things, my child will respond the right way. And then I'll be able to show off and be like, look, I'm successful in my work life. I'm successful in this part. Look how good I am as a parent. Yes. And, and I think what I didn't realize is, and I try to impart this to parents, is relationships are supposed to be messy. It's part of the process. Relationships are about transformation. And family life, I always try to remind parents, if, if family life is messy right now, good. You're right where you need to be because from the beginning of, look, I mean, even if, you're, if your faith isn't important to you, it's still instructive that the first family, you know, Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel. One of the first two kids was a murderer. You know what I mean? It's not like there were video games and violent video games back then. It's just that human nature is that we're all immature, broken people. And family life, if you can embrace it and let go of the perfectionism and let go of the expectation that you can somehow control everything, it is such a tool for your own transformation as a person uh, family life, I have changed so much because of my son. I am so thankful now that he was so difficult because if he would have been an easy, compliant child, I wouldn't have changed. But these kids bring out all of your immaturity and it, because they're just going to push all of your buttons. And sometimes it's really instructive to look at them and say, thank you for showing me all of these areas where I need to grow up and, and, and you don't really want to do that. It's a pain. But it's a really cool thing to be able to, to, to learn. I get now to grow up right in front. This, this funny phrase of like, we think we're raising our kids. And in reality, we're growing up for the most part right in front of them. And they're watching the transformation. And I believe your greatest lecture is your own transformation. My son tells me all the time, Dad, I don't remember any of your lectures, but what I do remember is watching you struggle and wrestle with things and change as a human being, and that's what I that's what I respect about you, and that's a beautiful thing. So, if I can say one final thing, it's when you mess up, don't 
don't take the shame of, oh, I've ruined things. No, it's such a fantastic opportunity for your child to see you mess up and apologize and grow from it. Because that's all we really want from our kids anyway, is to learn and from their mistakes and grow up and be humble about it. So it's just, it's kind of a cool, beautiful thing in the end. It is. I love that. It's in all the ways that you weren't sure you needed to grow. Those are the things you find, you know, the, all the surprises. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Even though it's really uh, awful and it's horrible, too. Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome in retrospect, maybe. Yes. What, um, what, if people want to learn more about Celebrate Calm or want to have more tools, where can they find you? Where can they find um, more tools? Um, you know what? I'll just go to CelebrateCalm.com. So it's CelebrateCalm.com. And you'll just see tabs there. First thing I would do, just go and listen to the podcast because there are so many on different topics. And you can just get a lot out of that. And then if you... If you ever want any of our resources, we've got all programs. Don't buy them directly off the website because they're full price. Just email us or call us, and our email address is there. It's Kirk, K-I-R-K, at CelebrateCalm.com. And just tell us about your family, and we will help you out with whatever resources. We'll tell you um, exactly what resources would be great, and if you need help financially with everything, we'll help you financially. Um, our stuff is a little bit more expensive than other people's stuff. Um, I do that on purpose. Um, just because I want people to have an investment and I want them to value it because I, I really believe it works. But if you're struggling financially, be assertive and say, I've listened to your podcast. You've described my child in our home. How can you help us? And we'll work with you. Um, cause we just, you know, we want to see you transform. So anyway, websites is a great place to see all the resources. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I really appreciate I hearing everything. Great questions. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've like I we talked about, I've learned so much from my kids and they've given me these questions. So they've been no, part of it. Thank you awesome. so much, Kirk. Thank Talk you. to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.